So it's hard to believe that this is our last night. Wow. This week has gone really fast, really fast, and it has been a wonderful time. Chris and I have so appreciated the opportunity to be here and be a part of this great week and, and just a part of uh, just everything that went on. And it went so quickly, but it was just such a great opportunity to come and spend some time with uh, all you folks and and uh, just to get to know you and just to experience uh, this week together. I appreciate Cody and the worship team and all that they did to just tie everything together. It's amazing how, and uh, Troy, as he shared, it's interesting to see how God ties all of that together. I think Cody already had the music planned before he came up and, and then to uh, take what we've done and to tie that all together has just been great in leading us in worship. So thank you, Cody and worship team and Troy for your time with us. We've been talking through the book of James and, and I was talking to uh, uh, Brother Dave today and said I probably bit off a whole lot more than I should have. Uh, but I pray as we've gone through the book of James that you've been challenged in your heart, that as we've taken this uh, chapter by chapter that that God has spoken to you and God has challenged you in those areas that you need to be challenged in so that we might be able to leave this place ready to serve God with our whole heart. And the book of James is dealing with the heart and, and dealing with uh, the issues of the heart. And David wrote in Psalm 51, verse 17, where he says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. And my prayer, and I know Troy's prayer, and I'm sure the camp and, and everybody who's involved with this week have been praying that God would take this week in our hearts and in our lives and to break us and to bring us at, to that point of just surrendering our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ in a way that is new and fresh because we've spent this time together. Uh, any of you have, who have been at camp, I used to go to Camp Patmos, which is out on Kelly's Island, uh, off, here we go, thumbs up. Don't have any Cleveland fans, but I got one guy, one, somebody, oh, Dave back here, okay. So Camp Patmos, though, we spent some summers up there, and you know how you come to the end of the week, and you have the big bonfire, and um, these times when you're going to commit your life to Christ, and you throw your stick in the bonfire, and and I hope tonight, figuratively, that we have one of those sessions where we just say, you know what, I'm just going to give it all up. Once and for all, I'm just going to give it up, and I'm going to say, God, just take over my life, take control of my life. Help me to live for Christ in all that I do, and in every place that I am, that, that there is nothing that should hinder me from proclaiming the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as James has taken us, he's taken us from this point of a group of individuals who are suffering great persecution. They've been driven out of their homes. They've lost jobs. They've, they've been separated from family. This great event has happened in their lives, and James works through point by point and says, Folks, Get your heart right. Get your heart right. Be 
doers of the word and not just hearers only. You know the truth now. Do something with it. And God has scattered you from Jerusalem. God has scattered you from this point now. Where you are, proclaim the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And really, if we want to sum this up, he says, don't let anything interfere in your life that hinders the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so tonight, as we look at James chapter 5, and I know we've blown through this, and there's just so much here, and there is so much that we could have talked about, and so much more that we could have pointed out, and I would encourage you to go back and just spend some time looking over the book of James and reading it over and studying it for yourself. And hopefully this has kind of uh, uh, whetted your appetite for the book of James and, and this normal Christian life and, and walking with Christ and redeeming the time. That's what our theme has been this week. How do I redeem the time? that God has given me here on this earth, we don't know when Jesus Christ is coming back. He's coming back at any moment, but he's given us more and more opportunities. We have one more day to share Christ. We have one more opportunity because we have been given one more day. So let's pray, and we'll jump into chapter 5. Father, I thank you again for this privilege that you've given me to be able to open your word and share with these dear folks. Father, I love each person that's here, even though I don't know them all. I just thank you for this week that you've given us, this opportunity to focus our attention, come out of the routine and and just spend this week here, and I pray that tonight, as we finish up James, or at least the majority of chapter 5, Father, I just pray that you might speak to our hearts. Father, I pray that you might break us. I pray that we might become aware of those areas in our life that hinder us from truly sharing the message of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we might lay it all down at your feet. Father, I pray that we might be on our faces before you as Isaiah was on his face before you when he got a glimpse of you seated on the throne. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And I have seen the Lord Almighty. But as we continue to read through that passage, Isaiah is sent as an ambassador of the message of God to the nation of Israel. Father, I pray that we might recognize that responsibility that we have to be your ambassadors. Thank you for your word, Father. Speak to us tonight. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to be looking at two things tonight as we break down chapter 5. This first point is trusting God versus trusting in riches. It seems like James is just kind of rolling back around to a couple points that he made earlier in the book, and he's challenging us again in those areas. Um, and maybe it was a problem back then that uh, riches were becoming a problem. How do I get more? Now that I'm in this spot, now that I'm in this predicament, how do I, get, how do I gain something? How do I get more than what I have right now? So let's look at the first six verses here in chapter 5. 
And James writes this, Come now, you rich, weep and howl. Similar to what he talked about last night, what we talked about last night in chapter 4, verse 9. Be wretched, be wretched. And mourn and weep, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourself before God. He says it again here in chapter 5. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evident against, evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last day. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud. You cried out, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Well, what a condemnation. Uh, James, as we said at the very beginning, doesn't beat around the bush. He's not trying to make friends, and he's not giving suggestions. He is coming at these individuals hard because he sees some things in their lives And he hears about things in their lives that need to be corrected so that they are in line with the principles and and the truth of the Word of God. And so he speaks specifically to the rich. It seems like money is always an issue, isn't it? And it seems like that becomes a real problem for many of us. Either we don't have enough or we have too much, and, and the more we have, the more we want. If we don't have enough, we're trying to figure out how can I get more so that I can do the things that I want to do and need to do. And so he has this word of condemnation on these individuals who said, you've gained riches. I mean, right now, uh, look at your clothing. I mean, this is just rotting away. Your silver's corroded. You know, what good is it anyhow? He's saying you're striving after the wrong things. Your heart is in the wrong place. It's coming back again. He's coming back around to this heart issue, this struggle that he has. Your your focus and your attention is in the wrong place. You know, you're striving after the wrong things. If you've spent this much time working for God, living out your faith, Allowing God to do his work in your life. And what a testimony you can have. But what you're doing is you're cheating your workers so that you could gain a little bit more. You're doing things that are so contrary to the nature of who God is. What are you thinking? We know that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And James hits that point here. You even come to the point that you're murdering people. You know, what what sense does this make? Where is our treasure laid up? You're saving things for the last days. We read in Scripture where it says, you may store all this stuff up, but somebody else is going to spend it for you. 
You're not going to even enjoy what you have because somebody else is going to spend it for you. And what do we know about that last day? What does Scripture tell us? It's going to come like a thief in the night. It's going to come, and it's going to come and take us by surprise. And what is all of this that we have? It's not going to mean a thing. It's just going to be destroyed. It's going to be given to somebody else. And you've worked and you've lost your testimony even at that point. Matthew chapter 29, or Matthew chapter 19, we read about the rich young ruler. Do you remember that story? This would be a great evangelism opportunity, isn't it? Young man comes up to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Man, you'd love those kind of evangelistic opportunities. Man, let's get down on our knees right now and we'll pray and we'll be done. Let's go. How does Jesus respond to him? He gives him the commandments, doesn't he? But he starts off with number six, or number five. He starts off with number five, doesn't he? And he works his way through those commandments. You know, have you murdered? Have you committed adultery? Do you covet? You know, he kind of works his way through those commandments. And and the young man says, I'm in like Flint now, man. I kept all of those since I've been a kid. Thank you very much, Jesus, for comparing for confirming that for me. And then Jesus says, now what I want you to do is go sell everything that you have. And the man walks away in great sorrow because he had much. You see, sometimes we put things in front of God and we've been challenged by that over and over again. And sometimes we trust in these riches that we have to gain something in our lives that that we really don't need or really don't want, but we need to have. And and let me gain riches. And and I lose my testimony for Jesus Christ. We have friends that, man, I... I just appreciate them so much. Two friends. One, one was in Kalamazoo. Um, his wife is a Huzinga. I don't know if you know anything about the Huzingas, but at one point they owned Blockbuster Video. They also owned the Florida Marlins and uh, whatever other football team was down there, I think. They were the poor side of the family. <laughs> He owned Michigan Disposal, which he sold to Waste Management. They're an extremely wealthy family, and they were in our church in Kalamazoo. And I appreciated them so much because as God blessed them, they blessed others. They had a real handle on what this means. God has blessed us with so much. We want to bless others, and we want to use what God has given us for the cause of Jesus Christ. We have another friend from Michigan also, and uh, she just blesses us with a place to go every year, and we've been going there for 25 years, but they own NTB Trucking, which is uh, one of the largest, a very large trucking company. And I remember when we went, we stayed at her house in Grand Rapids one time, and we looked at her refrigerator, and individually, they probably supported a hundred missionaries. They had all of their cards all over. 
all over their refrigerator, and, and they prayed daily for them, and Ardeth just had a heart for missions and a heart for the Lord and a desire to serve the Lord, and God has blessed her. Her husband passed away about 20 years ago, I think now, but, but she just wants to bless people. God's blessed me, and I want to bless others, and riches didn't become a hindrance to them. But in so many instances, we strive after the wrong things. And we don't trust God in the times that we need to trust God. We trust in our riches. Chris and I were in Bible college. And uh, we were poor, like most Bible college students are. And uh, I think I was working as the youth pastor of the church, and I was making $50 a month. That was, that was big bucks back then. <laughs> Didn't quite cover the bills, but it was big bucks back then. And I remember we were driving to church one day, and, and Chris had just gone through our budget. And she says, you know what? We don't have any other money coming in this month, and we are $500 short. I don't know what we're going to do. It's going to be like God is going to have to drop a check out of heaven. Our daughter pipes up in the back. I forget what she was, about nine years old, five years old. She goes, well, why don't you just pray about it? I said, well, thank you very much, daughter of mine. You don't hear us when we're talking to you, but when we're not talking to you, you have all the answers. Any parents experience that? You're whispering up in front, and your kid hears every word you said. Until you talk to them. You know, you're talking right at them. Anyhow. So we go to church that day and uh, met with Pastor Morgan and, uh, before the service, and, and we talked a little bit. And um, he says, here, I want to give you something. Uh, we don't pay you much. And, you know, it's around Christmas time, and I'm sure you guys have some needs. And, and he hands me an envelope, and I put it in my pocket, in my suit pocket. And so we're driving on the way home, and... And I said, Chris, oh, I got this from, oh, sort of, let, I peeked at it. And I said, Chris, how much was that again that we needed to cover the bills? She goes, $500, and God's going to have to drop a check out of heaven, you know, and I don't know what we're going to do. And so I reached in my pocket and pulled out this envelope and handed it to her. And Pastor Morgan had given us a check for $500. You know, when we trust God, in those times, we see God do amazing things. And sometimes we become very comfortable in the fact that I can do this, 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 and this. James talked about that a little bit earlier. You know, here are my plans, God. Please bless them for me. But sometimes we just need to just let go and trust God. There's a song by Hillsong, and I love this song. Um, I don't know where I heard it, but I remember I was sitting, I, I was waiting for Chris at a store, and, and I'm playing this song over and over and over again in the car, and I'm just weeping because it speaks to this fact of just trusting God for everything. The chorus goes like this. It's called Crowns by Hillsong. If you've heard it, you know what I mean. It says, my wealth is in the cross. There's nothing more I want then just to know your love, my heart is set on Christ. Man. 
I will count all else as loss. The greatest of my crowns mean nothing to me now. For I've counted up the cost, and my wealth is in the cross. And if we walk away with anything this week, is this reminder that our wealth is in the cross of Jesus Christ. The precious blood of the Lamb was spilt. For every one of us, these wretched sinners, each one of us, condemned to hell because of our sin, because we're human beings, And the precious blood of Christ was shed on the cross for each and every one of us. And if you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, praise God. Praise God that there was a moment in time when you recognized your sinfulness and there was no way to get to heaven apart from Jesus Christ. And you've experienced this fact that of the riches of God's grace that have been bestowed on you. And you've learned, hopefully, to trust in God for everything. And, and you just have yielded up your life to Christ. And we count everything else as lost. As lost for the surpassing love of Christ. And God has given us so much through His Son, Jesus Christ. Are you trusting in your riches or are you trusting in God? Redeeming the time. If I'm trusting in God, then I'm releasing my life to Him and allowing Him to take control of my life, leading me and guiding me and directing me to those places and to those people and to those situations where I can best communicate Christ and best live out Christ and, and experience that joy of, of being identified as a follower of Jesus Christ and, and have the privilege to speak the very words of God to individuals. What greater riches can we gain than that? Are we rushing after the riches of this world or are we trusting God? James goes on in verse, verse 7 through 12. He's talking, he circles back around to this idea of patience and anxiety and fear. And so let's look at these five verses, six verses here. And, and he says this, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how a farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge, capital J, is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful above all, but above all, 
my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you will not fall in under condemnation. What is James telling us? He's reminding us that we need to be patient. We pray, come Lord Jesus. May it be today, but if it's not today, help me to be effective. Help me to be sharing the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know your coming is at hand. I know at any moment you could come. What does Paul say? I would love to be with Christ. If I die today, that would be amazing. But if God chooses to keep me here, that is a benefit to you, and I have an opportunity for fruitful ministry. God has kept us here. We are his ambassadors of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be about the work of the gospel, and we need to be patient for the Lord's coming. He's coming. He said he is. God is not slack in keeping his promises, as some count slackness. He is going to come, and he said he's going to come, and we need to be ready, and we need to be patient, but we need to be about the work that God has called us to do. What does he say? The farmer waits. We get a pretty good idea here in Iowa what it means for the farmers waiting, right? The, the spring rains are extremely important, and the later rains are extremely important for the crops to grow well. You always hear that thing, knee-high by the 4th of July. I'm driving by fields in Waterloo. Man, this corn is taller than I am already. I said, this is amazing. But God is the one who brings the harvest, doesn't he? And the farmer patiently waits. We have a couple farmers in our church. And, um, you know, they plant in the spring. And, you know, they're busy. Uh, if you have any farmers in your church, there may be farmers in here. It, you're busy in the spring, aren't you? Man, you're, you're, just, you're just killing it. You're getting the fields ready. You're putting the fertilizer down. You're eventually planting the seed, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, I'm done. Go out every day and look at the, is it grown yet? Is there anything on the vine yet? Is there any corn on these things yet? Come on. No, he needs to be patient, doesn't he? The harvest is going to come. And there's a time when that harvest is going to be very fruitful. And the same is true in our Christian life. And we need to be patient for it. And are we about the work of Christ? Let's be patient, waiting for that day when Jesus comes, but let's be about the work that we need to do, that we need to be about. So James gives us that example. What a great example that is because it hits so close to home for us. That it, it, he says to establish our hearts. He says that the coming of the Lord is coming, and we don't know when, but only God knows. But we are to remain steadfast, as it says later on here, verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience. Um, Behold, verse 11, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. What does that mean? I need to, be remain, I need to remain grounded. I, I, I need to dig my roots deep. 
I need to make sure that I understand the truths of the Word of God and, and the Jehovah Witnesses or the Mormons or these people who are speaking half-truths who come to my door. They're not taking me down some path where I shouldn't go. I need to remain steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because we know that our work in the Lord is not in vain. We need to be about the work that God has called us to. So we need to remain steadfast. Do not grumble against one another. And that is, that is something that is so important. What, I don't know how many times I've heard, you know, Christians are the only ones who, oh, the only army that shoots their wounded. You know, when we grumble and complain against each other. And all of a sudden now, it's a ploy of Satan. I've been teaching a Bible study on uh, Thursday mornings with some men uh, at Friendship Village. Uh, I feel young because I'm the youngest guy there. I mean, one of the oldest guys there was 100. He was 99 years old that he was coming to this Bible study. We started off in Genesis, and we're working our way through Matthew. And as we were working through it, we have, we have a a Catholic guy that's in there that I really think is right on the edge of coming to know Christ. I mean, he's hearing things that he's never heard before, and he's just soaking this up. But we have some other guys there that are, that are learning as we're going. And the amazing truth is that as we looked at the book of Genesis and as we got to Matthew and as we work our, are working our way through Matthew, I have to remind them often that there is this plot that's being played out on earth. Here, is, here are the stories. Here is, here's the story of Adam and Eve. Here's the story of Abraham. Here's the story of Noah. And these things are being played out here on earth, but there is this spiritual battle that is going on above all of this. And this spiritual battle is, is real because Satan is trying to thwart the plan of God. He's trying to cut off that seed that's going to crush his head. And he does everything that he can. And as you pinpoint those spots along the timeline of the Old Testament, and even as you get into the New Testament and into the Gospels, you see this still happening. You know, can I cut off that one who is going to redeem man? Can I cut off that one who God is going to send to shed his blood on the cross and who is going to bring victory over death and victory over sin? And you see that being played out. Here are the stories, but above that is this spiritual battle that's going on. And at every point, God is just, okay, winning the victory, winning that battle. He's already run the war, but each one of those battles are being won. And we see Christ going to the cross. And we can't forget that that spiritual battle is still going on. It's still going on. And Satan's going to do everything that he can to minimize the effectiveness of the church of Jesus Christ. He's going to do everything that he can to minimize the message of our testimony to other people. So that's why we need to be on guard. We need to be aware. We need to be grounded. We need to be rooted. We need to make sure that we are patiently waiting for the coming of Jesus Christ, but about the work that God has called us to do. What a challenge it is. And James speaks directly to that. Behold, the judge is at the door. 
You know, don't grumble against your brothers. Don't point fingers at one another. Uh, don't be the judge because the judge is standing at the door. And he's, he's coming back and he's going to take care of all this. You take care of yourself. You be about the work that you've been called to do. Because you are now being scattered around the world. You are now considered an ambassador of Jesus Christ to parts of the world that haven't even been touched yet by the message of the gospel. We need to remember that this book was written 11 to 14 years after the death of Christ. Think about that. 11 to 14 years, the church is in its, in its infancy. It's growing there in Jerusalem. And God in his providence scatters the church. And he scatters his messengers around the world. Now he's going to allow some persecution to come so that the glory of God may shine through these individuals as they put their faith and trust in God and walk with Christ. And the glory of God is being shown through these individuals as they live for Christ. And he says, don't mar that glory that's being shown by grumbling against one another. He says, be steadfast. You know, these trials are going to come. He reminds us again of the prophets. Man, they suffered a lot, didn't they? Read some of the prophets. Read, uh, Troy mentioned Jeremiah this morning. Read the book of Jeremiah. Here is a poor guy, 40 years, he's thrown in a well to die. His friends come and pull him out of the well, and, and no converts. I mean, nobody's listening to him, and, and that's why he's called the weeping prophets, the weeping prophets. So we got the book of Jeremiah, and then we got lamentations. Oh, God, why, 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 why? But great is thy faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning. I may have to suffer, but I am trusting you because you are the one that is going to bring and receive the glory. We talked about Job early on in the first uh, couple sessions, and we understand Job's patience and what that did as he waited on God. I don't understand anything that's happening in my life. I don't understand what in the world is going on but I'm going to be patient and I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait on God for him to do whatever he's going to do. Naked I came into the world, naked I leave the world. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so we see the patience of Job. And so how important it is that we rest and we wait. Verse 11, consider Behold, we consider those blessed who are steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You know the story of Job. You've heard the story of Job. You've studied the story of Job. And as he waited patiently for God to do his work, you saw how compassionate and merciful God was to Job. We have the benefit of chapter 1. We have the benefit of chapter 42. Here's what God allowed, and here's how God blessed as Job walked with him. 
so J uh, James reminds us of how merciful and how gracious God is to all of us as we wait patiently for him through the suffering. Do I fear? Man, there are times when I fear. There are times when I go through these struggles, but I need to patiently wait on God alone. Okay, I want to get you to the pool. For those of you who are going to the pool. Story, another rafting story. Fear is something that overtakes us at times. It's this anxiety that takes, us, takes over our hearts and our lives. We had uh, navigators or campus crusaders, somebody come down, and, and uh, when we get to the river, we've, you know, the guides are all there, and everybody divides up in the rafts. And so all of a sudden I see six girls and one guy walking toward my raft. I'm thinking, this is going to be one long day. This is going to be one long day. Couldn't I get some of those guys that are standing over there? This looks like it'd be a whole lot more fun. We get in the river. First half of the river is just kind of floating, throwing water on each other, having a great time. We get to surprise. The river's at about two and a half, three feet, which means absolutely nothing to you. But when it is at that level, everything is just cooking. And every, the holes and the hydraulics are just huge. So we come around the corner, and I see this little blip, and I, it's surprise. Because everything's been so calm, and, and surprise is just this rapid that'll eat you alive. And it's great, because nobody's expecting it. So we come around, and we hit this thing perfectly, and, you know, the raft goes straight up in the air and comes down, and everybody's screaming and yelling, and I look at this guy, and he's as white as a sheet. And, and he looks at me, and he goes, do they get any worse than this? And I said, man, it has just started, and it is going to be a great day. We've got three more class fours. We've got three class fives. We've got a couple more. And I said, this is going to be a ride. I mean, we're going to just have a great time. Get to the next. <laughs> so we're going down into New River Gorge. There's no way out of here. So we're going down into the gorge. We hit the first class four rapid. We go through it. Just girls are screaming. I look at him, and his kneecaps are shaking, and he is as white as a sheet. He looked at me, and he goes, you let me out. I said, let you out? <laughs> and he said, yeah, let me out. Pull over right now, let me out. I said, I can't do that. I said, we've got another five miles before we get to the end of the river. I said, there's no way I can. He said, let me out right now. Now, the girls are ragging on him. I mean, they're just tearing him up. And he says, I don't care. And he is petrified. So I pull over to the side of the river and I said, you need to climb up the bank. And it had to be almost as tall as this ceiling. I said, you need to climb up the side of this bank, get on the railroad tracks, and you better be there at the end when we get there or you're finding your own way home. I'll be there. It's amazing what fear does. I never saw anybody get up the side of that bank so quickly. <laughs> He got on the railroad tracks, and like I said, the water's moving, and, and we're moving down the river, and I look up, and here's this guy just running right alongside us all the way down the railroad tracks. What that story had to do with what we're talking about, I don't know, but I needed to fit it in somewhere. <laughs> but it's a great thought on fear, how fear motivates us, but how fear debilitates us also. I mean, he would have had a great time if he would have just overcome his fear. 
And sometimes fear of sharing Christ overtakes us and debilitates us. Sometimes we get to that point where our kneecaps are just shaking and we're as white as a sheet and I don't know what to say, but it's just reaching out and saying, you know what, I've got a word for you. I've got a word of hope for you. And God gives peace in our heart and all of a sudden we're able to have this conversation and we see the light go on in the person's eyes and we're able to share the message of Jesus Christ. Patience versus anxiety. That's what James is talking to him. Don't fear what is going on around you. Be patient. The Lord is coming. Trust him. Look at how he ministered to Job. He was compassionate and showed mercy to Job. And he's going to show that same mercy to you. Jesus is coming again. We can't wait for him to come. But let's be about the work above all brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. The words of our mouth. He already talked about the tongue, didn't he? He already shared about the tongue. And what he's saying is, if you're going to say yes, say yes. I mean, that's pretty simple. (laughs) Don't have to expound on this and you don't need the Greek. You don't need to parse the verbs. You don't need anything. If you're going to say something, mean it. If it's yes, yes. If it's no, no. Let's, let's not waver here. There's too much to do and there's too much to be about. It's been a week that hopefully has been a challenge to your heart. Hopefully this book has been a challenge to your heart. I, I pray that the morning sessions have been a challenge to your heart also. God has a plan for all of us. Our plan, his plan for us is that we be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. His plan for us before that even is that we all know Jesus Christ is our personal Savior. And and as we've said in each one of these sessions, there may be somebody here that doesn't know Jesus Christ is their Savior. And this week would be that week that you could put a marker down and say, July 5th, 2018, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ at family camp too. And that is my marker, and this is my new life where I started. I passed from death to life, and my new life started there at family camp. And I'm going to be down here in front after the service, and and if, if you need to talk, and if you need to have somebody to pray with you, I'd be more than happy to do that. My wife would be down here. I know Troy and Lori would be more than happy to, to sit down and pray with you and talk with you. So maybe you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe tonight, figuratively, you need to be throwing that stick in the fire, saying, I am now giving my life to Christ. I'm going to commit every moment of my life to serving God and allowing him to do his work in me so that I might glorify God through my life. I'm so thankful for what God has done for me through his son, Jesus Christ, that I want to serve him with the rest of my life. Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for this week. I thank you for the blessings of this week and all that we have learned and and all that we have been taught and 
all that you've communicated with us. Father, I pray that if there's someone